turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Exodus chapter 9. Exodus chapter 9. We come tonight, of course, to the climactic seventh plague. And if there's one thing we've seen throughout the Bible, it's this focus on the number seven as the number of perfection. We have the seven days of creation. We have 14 miracles recorded in the book of Acts, 14 mentions of God's throne in Revelation chapter 4, a stone with seven eyes representing the seven spirits of God in the book of Zechariah, and many, many other instances of the word seven, or the concept too numerous to count. But this seventh plague, as we would expect, is ferocious, not only in what it does, but also in how it's explained. In fact, the plague starts with a long theology lesson for Pharaoh. So we'll look at that in just a moment. Let's read it. Exodus 9, starting at verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For at this time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on all your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now if I had stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, then you would have been cut off from the earth. But indeed for this purpose I have raised you up that I may show my power in you and that my name may be declared in all the earth. As yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause very heavy hail to rain down such as has not been in Egypt since its founding until now. Therefore sin now and gather your livestock and all that you have in the field for the hail shall come down on every man and every beast which is found in the field and is not brought home and they shall die. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt, on man, on beast, and on every herb of the field throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. So there was hail, and fire mingled with the hail, so very heavy that there was none like it in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. And the hail struck throughout the whole land of Egypt, all that was in the field, both man and beast. And the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail." And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more voices of God and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head and the flax was in bud, but the wheat and the spelt were not struck, for they are late crops. 
So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. Then the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured on the earth. When Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more, and he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would help us tonight to learn the theology lesson that Pharaoh did not want to learn. Help us to take warning from this mighty seventh plague. Not to indulge then in some kind of temporary repentance as Pharaoh did, but to truly, heartily, and sincerely turn from our sin and turn to you as the God who thunders, the God who hails, and the God who spares from hail. Help us to fear the word of the Lord. Not to test you, but to trust you. Help me to speak boldly. Help us all to listen carefully to your word. And to see that there is no one like you. That you could cut off evil anytime you want. That the issue is not your power, but your plan. Help us to trust you in that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are three, really three aspects of this plague that go beyond what we've seen in plagues one through six. The first aspect, of course, is the theology lesson beforehand. The second is the power of the plague itself, nothing like it since the day Egypt became a nation. And then the third aspect is Pharaoh's temporary repentance afterwards. So look tonight at the theology lesson and the plague, and then next week we'll take a look at Pharaoh's temporary repentance and what we can learn from that. What the seventh plague shows us is that there is no one like God. Hail shows us that there's no one like God. The unparalleled power of the hail shows the unparalleled power of the Lord. The Lord starts with the theology lesson for Moses, of course, or for Moses to deliver to Pharaoh. This lesson begins, as they all do, with the demand to let the people go. God is saying, once again, Pharaoh didn't get it the first six times. So for the seventh time, God tells him, not a request, but a demand, let my people go. God is, of course, well, he wants his people, but he's trying to teach Pharaoh that God is totally committed to freeing his people for worship. Generally speaking, if you don't want something very much, you won't ask for it seven times. God wants this so much that he asks for it ten times. In fact, he insists upon it. Pharaoh, you will let my people go. I'm not asking. I'm telling you. But though God is serious about letting his people go, as we've seen, God also let them be held in bondage for a minimum of 80 years. So when we hear that God is totally committed to something, we tend to think, oh, well, that will happen probably in the next 30 seconds then. 
Because if I were totally committed to something and I were omnipotent, I would do it immediately. But though God is totally committed to freeing his people for worship, he's totally committed to a number of other things as well. One of which is his glory and the proclamation of his name through all the earth. So God says, let my people go that they may serve me. Saying, Pharaoh, I'm committed to my people worshiping me. I must have it. I will have it. And we as God's people then need equally to be committed to serving God with our whole lives. If this is this much of a priority for God, then it needs to be this much of a priority for us. Now, if you're held back from, by a tyrant from worship, you can trust God to deal with that, right? But more often, we're held back from worship by our own sin. And we need to deal with that. So God says, let my people go. I insist on them living to serve me. And then he adds that he's going to teach Pharaoh that there is no one like himself. This time I will send all my plagues to your very heart and on your servants and on your people that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. Now, several of the plagues have this as their stated goal. For Pharaoh to learn the incomparability of God. Here it is again. We applied it last time we saw this to the idea of tricking God. That you come away from an encounter with the Almighty saying... Aha, uh-huh. no one like Caleb Nelson. I fooled God that time. And that is a good application of the incomparability of God. But we can also apply it, let's say, to worship. Worship is a formal recognition of the incomparability of God. To be here is to say, there is no one like this God that I'm here to worship. There is no activity more satisfying, no being more powerful, no God more gracious or worthwhile than the one I'm here to serve. When you come to worship, you are affirming the incomparability of God precisely by whatever it is that you're rejecting in order to be here. This is more worthwhile And more satisfying than camping, sports, housework, television, or any of the 101,000 things that demand our attention in this world. God says, Pharaoh, there's no one like me. When we come to worship and mean what we say here, then we too are affirming, God, there is no one like you. We can also apply God's incomparability to temptation. When temptation comes and promises, do this sin and you will enjoy it. Do this sin and you will have more fun than you would have if you reject this sin. We can say, no, that's not true. There's no one like God. God is better than what this sin offers me. Don't say there's nothing like sin. I've been in the misery that comes of sin before. Sin is very comparable to other sins. And the misery this sin yields will be a lot like the misery the last sin yielded. 
but there's no one like God. What he offers is better than anything temptation can offer. Nothing is so satisfying as doing it God's way. So God is teaching Pharaoh that there's no one like him. But the obvious question arises. Okay, if there's really no one like you, why are we still doing this? We could ask it this way. How many rounds, how many innings would it take, say, for the New York Yankees to conclusively beat Gillette's Little League softball team? God and Pharaoh are already in the seventh round. Pharaoh appears, yeah, I mean, he's taken some hits, but he's still standing. If there's really no one like God, Pharaoh must at least be somewhere up there if he's still standing after six rounds. So God addresses that question head on. Yes, Pharaoh, I could have stretched out my hand, struck you, and cut you off from the earth. The issue here is not my power. It's not a question of whether I'm capable of winning this in a single round, because I am. That's the name of God. I am. He insists, I could have cut you off in round one. There is no reason that this needed to go this long. Now the question remains for us. Why did God let Hitler live so long? Why did he not cut off Stalin and Mao? Why did he let Israel suffer for 80 years under Pharaoh's cruel bondage? The only answer we can give is not because he's helpless, but because he has other plans. God says, I could have won already. But there's a reason that I didn't, and here's what it is. Now, if I had stretched... No, verse 16. For for this purpose, I have raised you up. Now, the word translated raised you up is simply the word stand. Hebrew has a transitive form of this word, as do we in English. We usually apply it, though, not to people, but say to dominoes. I stood that domino on end. God says, Pharaoh... I stood you up. Not in the sense of I missed an appointment with you, but I made you stand, or as Romans has it, and as the translators here paraphrase, I raised you up. I created you. I put you in office as king of Egypt. I gave you the power, the wealth, the armies, the slaves, the palaces, everything that you have. I set you right where you are. Of course, that's true for each one of us here tonight. Whatever position you have, wherever you live, whatever you're calling, God raised you up as well and put you right there with that calling, with those co-workers, with those children, or with those church friends. And what is God's goal in this? Well, it was not to show Pharaoh a good time. 
For this very purpose I have raised you up so that you could really enjoy being Pharaoh. No, the reason this man became Pharaoh is because God wanted to show his power off. I wanted to show my power in you or to you. Depends on how you want to translate that. God is showing his power to Pharaoh, by Pharaoh, through what he does to Pharaoh and in Pharaoh's life. Pharaoh, of course, go out on the balcony, look around Egypt, and everywhere he looked, what did he see? He saw his power, the might of Egypt, the fertility of the river, the slave armies working the fields, the pyramids and the sphinx and all these things. You know, the pyramids and the sphinx in the time of Moses, at least the pyramids already older than William the Conqueror is to us. Those pyramids were at least 1,200 years old in the days of Moses. What did Pharaoh see when he went on his balcony? Well, he saw his power. And of course, I think it's totally fair to put words in his mouth and for him to say, as I look around Egypt, Moses, I don't see Yahweh's power anywhere. I see Pharaoh's power. I see my ability to control my land. I don't see Yahweh's power. And so Moses says, let me show you some of Yahweh's power. Frogs, flies, water into blood. Soot turning into boils on man and beast. Oh, and here's some hail. Pharaoh, you don't even begin to get it if you think you don't see God's power all over Egypt. Pharaoh claimed to not be able to see God's power, and so God enrolled him in the great school of the power of God and hit him with these ten plagues. Pharaoh became king for the purpose of getting plagued. That's what God tells Moses. Why did I put this man in? So that I could whack him ten times. Now Moses doesn't say, no fair God. That's not right. Moses, too, has been whacked by God a number of times. At least been sent to do some very unpleasant things like deal with the people of Israel. As you can read about in the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. God's power is revealed to Pharaoh in the disasters, the pains, the problems, and the difficulties that Pharaoh suffers. And God's power continues to be revealed to us in plagues and disasters and pandemics and acts of God and magnificent creatures. We still see God's power. Why the plagues? Why was Pharaoh king of Egypt? Well, God says it right here. So that I may show my power in you. God wanted to show off his power. Right? That's his priority. Not 
to make Pharaoh feel good and affirmed. Not even to make sure that his people had a comfortable life or weren't mistreated. God had a bigger goal than that. He wanted to show his power. Now that doesn't sound very fun. God, you raised up Pharaoh and you hit him with ten plagues in order to show your power. But that's exactly what the Almighty says here. God is telling us to get our eyes, like Pharaoh, off the power of the things that our culture regards as powerful. We don't sink our money into pyramids and sphinxes. But we certainly can be impressed with the power of big tech, the power of money, the power of media, the power of American military might, or any number of other things that jostle for our attention. But God says to Moses, and thus to Pharaoh, get your eyes off earthly power onto God's power. Pharaoh was there so that he could learn about God's power. And as God showed his power, that would glorify himself, that my name may be declared in all the earth. God's purposes are not narrowly parochial. They're not just for the family of Abraham. They're for the entire earth. And God is plaguing Pharaoh for the sake of the gospel and its worldwide proclamation. Far more people know the name of Moses, of course, than know the name of Buddha or Muhammad. Best-selling author of all time, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Dame Agatha Christie, somewhere between two to four billion copies in print. And yet, as many people as know the name of Hercule Poirot, how many more know the name of God Almighty? For as many people as have read Death on the Nile, how many more have read about the ten plagues where God struck Pharaoh in order to show his power to Egypt's king. God is not interested in being the anonymous force behind the scenes. Sometimes he is that, of course. Read the book of Esther. But here in Exodus, the issue is very much, what is his name? Who is he? Let's bring his power out center stage and let the whole world see it. God's final purpose then, verse 17, is to humble Pharaoh's self-exaltation. As yet you exalt yourself against my people and that you will not let them go. We want to think that God's whole purpose in the plagues is to evangelize Pharaoh. That is definitely part of God's purpose. God has as one goal to humble Pharaoh and to teach him to fear God. That by no means exhausts God's purpose. God is willing to plague Pharaoh and not have Pharaoh be converted if that means greater glory and greater display of power for God. For Pharaoh to let Israel go, of course, 
he would have had to admit not just that he was wrong this time, but that he had been wrong the whole time. So God accuses him of exalting himself by hanging on to the people. Pharaoh, you want your power to be shown in the earth. You want your name to be proclaimed in the earth. Not going to happen. And rather, therefore, than humble himself, Pharaoh was willing to lose everything up to and including his firstborn son. Bit of a warning for us. Are you willing to humble yourself before God and deal with your sin? Or would you rather lose everything? By holding on to your sin, Pharaoh's sin, self-exaltation, Whatever your sin is, God is determined to glorify himself to show you his power. His power to save, yes, but also, as we talked about last week, his power to judge. So Moses moves into the description of the plague after giving Pharaoh this theology lesson. Pharaoh, I could have cut you off, but you're still standing because I want to show my power. And as we've talked about, God is showing not just his power, but his power to moderate his power. His power to be just barely stronger than Pharaoh. And one of the ways God will show that is the seventh plague, the plague of hail. So he announces the coming of hail. We're familiar with hail in this part of the world. Seems to come all the time. But this hail is such that it will not just dent roofs or break windows the kind of hail that will kill anyone or even big animals like cattle that happen to be out in the field and some Egyptians start to listen finally there are some among the Egyptians who fear the word of the Lord verse 20 he who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses there's a few They don't fear God necessarily, but they do at least listen enough to change their behavior based on Moses' warning. It took six plagues, but now by the seventh plague, they say, I think I should maybe listen to Moses. Do we change our behavior based on what God's word says? I hope so. We should. It was a lesson Egypt's nobles needed to learn. So then the fulfillment comes, thunder, hail, and fire. Even an ordinary hailstorm is an awe-inspiring spectacle from the safety of a front porch. Imagine standing on Pharaoh's balcony and watching this as the hail moves in and smashes Egypt. Pharaoh appears to be a little bit shaken talk about that next time but in the devastation as the hail struck every herb of the field and broke every tree of the field Goshen is spared God protects his people again showing his incomparability there is no one like him who can precision target Egypt 
but spare his own people. Again, what is he saying? I could have cut you off long ago, Pharaoh. It's not that you're almost about to win, that if you just hold out for one more round, Pharaoh, I'll give up and let you keep the people. No, the hail is God's way of saying, Pharaoh, I could have cut you off long ago. There is no one like me. So let's learn that lesson. To know this God, to fear this God, to trust Him when He tells us that there is no one like Him. Fear His word and be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that there is no one like You. That You act to save Your people. That You are committed to showing Your power and making your name great in all the earth. Father, give us a God-centered view of life. Help us to understand that your top priority is not our comfort or our psychological well-being. That your top priority is your own power and your own name and your own greatness. Thank you that you showed Pharaoh that, that you showed Moses that, that you showed Israel that, and Egypt that. And you showed us that tonight in this sermon. Lord, help us to see that there is no one like you and to believe it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.